Hello and welcome to the Contracting Officer Podcast. You're listening to the podcast for people who want to learn about the government market from the contracting officer's perspective. If you are a contracting officer, we hope to give you a little more insight into industry's perspective. Our mission is to make government contracting better one contract at a time. In today's episode, we answer another round of listener questions. Let's get started. Hey, Kevin. Today, we're going to answer listener questions. This should be a fun one. We are. And for all the times that you've heard me ask people to send in their questions, well, they have. (laughs) Right. So question number one, what is an award fee contract? So the simple answer, and again, we start with the book answer, is in FAR 16401E is an echo. And it's essentially a type of incentive contract that has, so if you come up with this term award fee, it means that you're going to get awarded extra fee for something that you do. I wouldn't say extra necessarily. I'd say a portion of the fee available if you negotiated a $100 contract that had 10% fee, so it was a $110 contract, a portion, either a portion or all of the $10 of fee would be available for award to you, which means you don't automatically get it. The government has to do some determination. And and that's a good way to think of it because there's a, there are two pieces to this. There is the base fee, which you get. For, let's say you have a cost-type contract and it has, you know, it's an award fee contract. You could have a, say, 3% base fee and a 5% award fee, or you could have a 6% award fee only. I mean, there, that, there are lots of different ways to do this. But you're right. It's that, the reason I use the term extra is that you may get some base fee of yeah. even 1% plus some, some additional. But the point is you've got to do something to get it. You've got to meet some kind of metric. So, so the, the example here is I had on a, it was a, a software contract. And the metrics were based on how well they performed in terms of were they underrunning on cost? Were they, were they beating schedules? Because we're trying to upgrade a software package. And the faster they did it, and by the way, did it correctly, there's the balance between those two things, they would get more fee. So that's a way that it can work. But what, what it really comes down to is how are you controlling cost schedule and technical performance? And they're measured in the award fee plan. So here's the other part of this is you've got to have a plan. And that's, again, there's some nuts and bolts in that in the, in the FAR. But basically what it says is how are you going to actually determine this fee? What's the plan for that? What does the contractor have to do to meet that fee? And there's a person called a fee determining official, an FDO, because you've got to have an acronym for everything, right? And that, that person basically is in charge of making the decision. Now, this is one of those things where it's not a person over in the corner saying, ah, 6% sounds good. There's a process. There's right. a PowerPoint deck. There's multiple people. The contractor gets their, their presentation of, this is why we think we should get 100% fee. And then somebody else will say, this is why they think we think they should get 90% fee. And, you know, it's, it's, it's right. so. Sub- so award fee contracts are not for the faint of heart or the lazy because they're a lot of work. <laughs> they are, it's extra work to administer. Not only do you have to write a plan that describes what you're going to evaluate and how you're going to evaluate in order to award this fee, but then you have to go through a process to decide how much fee is awarded. Then you have to do another mod to the contract to award the fee. So, And it's more tracking on the, the contractor's side as well. So this is th- these are not generally used for smaller acquisitions it's it's more of a of a big acquisition kind of thing and there's a there's another type of incentive contract which is incentive fee and in my mind the difference is usually more incentive fee is something that you can write down a metric for at at, if if you do this you get this 
An award fee allows for more subjectivity in the evaluation with how, how happy are you with your overall performance? Yeah, that's a good way to say it is that that incentive fee is objective and award fee is subjective, which is why you have all the PowerPoint decks and you have all the arguments and and discussions and and, and blah, blah. Although I've seen a lot of objectivity in award fee plans. Which my argument would be then it should be an incentive fee. (laughs) Exactly. That's what's happened is that, you know, maybe 10 years ago, it was very popular to have, uh, very, that's a stretch. It was more popular (laughs) to have award fee plans. And it was because this whole idea of, well, I want to make the case for why we're 100%. And to your point, lots of companies said, well, can we just make these objective instead of subjective? And then a lot of person contracting officers, because it's easier, you can have a combination. You have eight, eight of the metrics are going to be, say you have 10 metrics total. Eight of the metrics are, are going to be objective and two of them are subjective. And the, the one that we, the contract we had, they were about half and half. There were things that, yes, you met that, but the ones that, that were subjective, it's like we spent what felt like a crazy amount of time talking about a really small amount of money relative to how big the contract yeah. was. And I've seen these hybrid contracts that are cost plus incentive fee slash award fee. So where all the objective stuff is, is in incentive fee, and then there's still an award fee determination that you have to make. So the point is, award fee is not automatically yours. In a, in a fixed price contract or a cost plus fixed fee contract, the, the, the contractor gets to keep all of the fee that's negotiated in an incentive fee, or in this case, a war fee that we're talking about, there's a determination of how much fee that they've earned. So right now, like you said, award fee contracts are unpopular. And by unpopular, we mean this is the way the government discourages it. They make the approval level for using this type of contract so high that most government people don't want to go through all the trouble it takes to get it approved to, to use it. So you, you have to have real reasons why it makes sense to do award fee. And of course... It's all, it's all cyclical. They were unpopular, then they were very popular, which led to abuse of, of the concept where this, it made the newspapers, of course. Contractors were failing miserably and having their schedules extended because they were not meeting the requirements, yet they were still earning all or almost all of the award fee available to them. So Congress said that doesn't seem right at all and changed the rules to make it harder to use them. And here we are. All right, that's enough on that one. Question number two. What does incremental funding mean? Uh, just what it sounds like. Yeah. <laughs> so there are two ways to look at this. And this is the reason that we're answering this one is that incremental funding is one of those things that it, on one hand, it sounds really simple. It means you're going to fund the contract in pieces. Okay. But there's some process behind that, as you can imagine. So let's break this into two different situations where the term is used and means very different things. So the two situations are a cost type contract. And again, if you need to understand the contract types, go listen to that podcast. But on a cost cost type contract is one half. And then on a fixed price contract is the other half. So I'll let you take the cost type contract. Okay. So this is where you got to, your brain has to be able to differentiate between the value of the contract. I have a contract that says, I will give you this for a hundred dollars and the funding available on the contract. The government says, okay, your contract's worth $100, but we're only going to put $25 on that for you to work against. And before you've spent all that $25, you need to tell us when you're getting close to it so that we can put more funding on the contract. And if you spend $27 on the contract, we don't have to pay you those extra $2 if we've only funded $25. 
So what I'm trying to say is there's actually a clause that goes into an incrementally funded contract. It's called limitation of funds, 52.232-22. And it says that 60 days before you reach 75% of the funding available, you need to notify the government so that they can provide more funding. Or in some cases, if there's no more funding coming, the contract is over. Yeah, it's, it's fun how they, they 60 days, 75%, and 85%. It, 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 these numbers are, we don't make these up. I don't know where they came from, but that's what the, that they're stitched in there. But the, the, yeah, the big takeaway from this is that if you have a cost-type contract and you've only got so much funding, you don't get more funding, you, you're done. <laughs> and I've actually had this kick in once where the company didn't notify us that they're burnt. It's a burn rate that you're talking about, right? They didn't notify us until like a week before they were going to be out of money. And okay, you can make all the arguments in the world that should have been watching it. But you know what? Most contracting officers have dozens of contracts they're managing. So, and it, so it was, it was dicey. Now, of course, this was a, it was a smaller program. It wasn't that big of a deal to put a couple hundred, I say that kind of tongue in cheek, but a couple hundred thousand dollars on a giant program is not a big deal. But we were able to move some money around and make sure that, the, that it, was, it was almost like a snafu that people didn't know. But the point is, it's because the contractor, a small business, didn't know about this clause. Because, again, this clause is in, it's not even in full text. At all. Yeah, and it doesn't make sense in the real world. There's, right. Yeah. So it, it's, it, it's one of those things that you got to know that it's there, which is how we're answering. It's like an installment plan for the government. So one thing we should touch on is why would the government incrementally fund a contract? And the, my answer is that they shouldn't. They should put all the funding that they have on the contract and minimize the administrative burden of doing more funding mods and making the contractor track more and more, more and more things. One reason they've had to lately is because Congress has not been able to pass a budget in a timely manner. We've had a lot of these continuing resolutions, and I'm getting way deep here, but when Congress doesn't pass the appropriations bills on time, they dole out little bits of funding at a time to the agencies. The agencies only have little bits of funding to dole out to the contractors, so they end up incrementally funding contracts. Creates an, it creates an enormous administrative burden on everyone involved, the government and industry, because it's a constant cycle of modifications to contracts to provide funding that could have been provided 100% to start with. So that was a little aside rant about incremental funding. And it's a good thing to mention because for the people that don't know, that's going back to what makes the process take longer. That's one of them is that instead of working on negotiating the the next contract, you're, you're chugging through the funding, the administrative funding of a contract you've already agreed to do. So you're kind of going backwards. All right. So let let me finish the other half of this. So the other half of this is on fixed price contracts. So technically you can't incrementally fund a fixed price contract. So what, what that means is that, you can't you can't incrementally fund you know you're not going to buy half a lawnmower. However, so that's if you think of it in, in big terms, most of the time it doesn't apply. However, realistically, you can incrementally fund because of, in certain circumstances. So, for example, some of those circumstances would be if it's a severable service. And by the way, if you want to read through this, it's in DFARS, the Defense FAR Supplement two thirty two seven zero three. But some examples would be if it's a, a severable service. Severable meaning you can turn it on, turn it off. That kind of thing. It's like it, it's it's not. It's it services for the most part are severable <laughs> because they're just doing something for you and they could stop doing it and start doing it. Right. And then also it doesn't exceed one year in length. So if in other words, you have one year money. Okay. Technically you have to incrementally fund that because you, you can't for what if you listen to the colors of money conversation that we had on a podcast number, I don't know, I should look it up. 
19. 19, there you go, good job. So in that one, we talked about you only have one year money. So if you were a five-year contract for services, okay, technically you have to incrementally fund that. So this is why the term gets confusing because legally you're not supposed to incrementally fund a fixed price contract, but if you don't have money that's more than one year, you, you end up funding it every year. So that which goes back to your conversation about Congress. And then also another example would be that it's for research and development appropriations. So you can do a firm fixed price contract for R&D, but if it co- covers, fiscal, uh, covers more than one fiscal year, you end up with effectively incrementally funding it. So this, the term gets fuzzy, but just think in simple terms, cost type contracts are probably incrementally funded too much, which creates all kinds of admin. And then firm fixed price contracts normally aren't incrementally funded, but sometimes are. So yep. when you hear that term, now you know what to do with it. And the regs say for fixed price, the government needs to fully fund the contract as soon as funds are available. I'm not sure that that always happens. Um, another little regulation nuance here is there are penalties for government people that try to convince contractors to work beyond the available funding. So if, if you're rolling along in a program and the funding documents haven't come through, it can be very expensive for a contractor to stop working because they're technically out of money. So there's great pressure from both sides to just keep going and then eh, the funding will come in and it'll all be fine in the end. But there's actually penalties for government people that try to convince contractors, oh, just keep going. We promise the funding's coming. That's a good point. And that's, that's, a, that's a slippery slope because if you think about it, again, podcast is all about what does it feel like at the ground level? So if you're on the contract, you're working on a program, you need to get something done, you're, you're, you're working on a, I don't know, developmental item, it's a cost-type contract for part of a jet. I don't know, make that up. And so you're getting up to where you're going to be out of funds in 30 days, but you need to travel 47 days from now. Do you book that travel? Well, if you're looking at the program manager, you're the contractor, you're looking at the program manager, he needs you to be on site for this particular meeting, and you know the cost of that flight's going to go up the longer you wait, but you don't have fun. You see, this, this stuff eats us alive as contract administrators. Plus, what are you going to do, shut down the production line? <laughs> yeah. You know, lay off all the people for 15 days until the incremental funding comes around? It's fully fund your contracts. That's what yeah. we're trying to say. Yeah, so <laughs> Avoid as, lots of administrative trouble. As much as you can. Yeah. Okay. All right. Enough on that one. Next. Question number three. What are certified cost and pricing data? What is that? So this is one of those things that I, I, again, thought people knew. And then I realized that, well, that's not really something that we, that we focus on too much on the commercial side. So it, it, it really made sense when I started talking to people about, well, yeah, you got to certify that data. And they say, well, what's that mean? And where does that come from? So it actually comes from, it's in FAR 15403. And what it specifically deals with is when you give cost data to a government contracting officer, whether it's part, of ne- it's part of negotiation, it's part of a sole source contract, it's outside of competition for some reason. Like you're, it's a modification to a contract you've already worked on and, or you've already won. And now the issue is you're saying it costs a million dollars for, for this mod. Well, you have to certify to that data if it's over $700,000. So what certification means is that somebody, usually an executive at the company, has to say, yes, this information is accurate, current, and complete. As opposed to just saying, yeah, it's, it's right. Now, the difference between... This, this is our estimate. Right. It, it, this, is, this is one of those things. The difference between saying this is the correct data versus certifying 
that you you basically swear that it's the correct data. Right. There's a big gulf between those two sentences. Yeah, and there's penalties for miscertifying. So, like you said, this is only for larger things. It has to be right now. The threshold is seven hundred thousand dollars. Used to be lower. Later, it'll be higher. I'm sure. There's inflation <laughs> involved, but this is the absolute yeah. This is the absolute value of the change. It's not just a seven hundred thousand dollar increase we're talking about. If you had a change to a contract that was going to add five hundred thousand dollars of work and remove three hundred thousand dollars of work, that's an eight hundred thousand dollar absolute value to the change. So you still have to certify. So the preference is that you don't obtain certified cost and pricing data, and to to if you're in the on the government side to request certified cost and pricing data if the action is under $700,000 absolute value you actually have to get special approval to do that because it's extra work it's a lot of work on the the industry side to do it and if, so an example of one of these is i had again research and development back in my early career when i first got introduced to this form and it's in far 154062 there's an actual certificate you have to sign right and it was interesting that you, you learn by doing and we had a, I think it was a, I don't know, it was under a million dollars. But at the, back in the day, I think it was $600,000 was the threshold back when I first touched these things. And it was interesting because we had to get the certificate and the company, again, a small business, had never done this before. And it was a significant emotional event because they read through the certification. And they're like, wait a minute. I'm like swearing before God and country that I know every piece of, every number in my company is correct. And I'm like, yeah, he's like, well, well, give me an extra week to make sure. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it's 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 a different level of, of crazy. Yeah, so that's a good point. And a week, depending on the complexity of things, a week, that's a quick time. So let me describe on a very, very large negotiation. If you're talking millions and millions, hundreds of millions of dollars, if you're buying large systems kind of stuff, the contractor will submit a proposal based on quotes that they have from subcontractors and vendors for the materials. Those quotes are the basis of their estimate, and at the time that they submit them, they're probably current, accurate, and complete. They just got the quotes. So all those have a sunset on them. A quote usually says, this quote is valid for 30 days or 60 days or 90 days. Same thing with subcontract pricing. You can't expect your vendors to hold a price forever. So if you're negotiating for a large system kind of acquisition, say all the quotes are valid for 30 days, it takes you 62 days to negotiate, you finally come to a deal and you say, we agree that this is the price. At that point, in order to certify, the contractor has to go back to all those vendors and refresh all the quotes to make sure that the pricing is still current, accurate, and complete, because two months ago is no, could no longer be current, no guarantee. But to, to go back to every vendor and say, is that still the price, takes some time. And if just say that some of those quotes, you can't get the same pricing anymore, that actually becomes a change, a post-negotiation change to the negotiated price because you can't certify to it. So the contractors do what's called a sweep, and they sweep through all of the vendors and subcontractors that they got quotes from. They verify that the prices are still current, and they may submit a post Post-negotiated deal, increase or decrease to the negotiated price based on that sweep. So it can take some time to make that happen. Well said. <laughs> I can't <laughs> add anything to that. Well described. 
All right. Question number four for the day. What do we mean by commercial acquisition? So the FAR Part 12 is the acquisition of commercial items. So that's the, the actual reference we're making to here. And again, we're, we're going to do a whole cast on FAR Part 12. It's, it's a different animal. It came out in the, in the mid-90s. But when we say commercial acquisition, I think one of the, the question came from, we're not talking commercial as in outside of government. We're talking about FAR Part 12. It's still a government contract, but it's acquisition using commercial procedures. Or so, what the government thinks are commercial procedures. It, it's, it's, hey, we're buying stuff that I could go down to Walmart right now and buy. Why do I have to follow all of these FAR rules for something so simple? The response is, all right, if you're buying a commercial item, you can use FAR 12, which is supposed to have streamlined procedures, right? It does. They're shorter. They're not short, but they're shorter. So the, the definition of commercial item, and again, you can look in FAR 2.101 and get the really, really long version, but here's the, the Kevin version. So it's stuff that is used by the public. It's been sold or offered for sale, which is a fuzzy term as a contracting officer. It's been sold or offered for sale competitively to the public or has evolved into an item that's used by the public or can be modified to be such an item. So in other words, it's something that's already sold, has been offered for sale, or can be modified from something that actually is commercial. So from that, you get a wide open swath of stuff. And that's how you end up with, we've had, I mean, you and I both have, have bought aircraft commercially. And I'm not, and I'm, of course, we're talking about like actual commercial aircraft, they, they start, like a, a Gulfstream 5, that's a commercial aircraft, right? But there have been cases back in the, in the mid-90s when a C-130 <laughs> was being bought commercially, which hey. is a bit of an extreme. That, you were, that was me. Yeah, we're there too. <laughs> So there, there are extreme versions of this, but, but think in terms of the, the whole policy behind the commercial acquisition is that there's a preference for commercial items. If it exists already, there's no reason for the government to, to pay somebody to reinvent it. Right. So this is part of the market research discussion. This yeah. is part of the- For most things, it's really easy to tell if it's a commercial item. If it's something that non-government uses and you can, you can buy it, you can see it in a catalog or uh, – buy it off the internet or go down to a store and pick one up, it's a commercial item. But there's, a, like you said, there's the fuzzy part is have been sold or offered for sale competitively. So just because you offer something up to the public, even, maybe no one in the public would ever, ever use it. Only the military would use it or only, only a government agency would use it. The FAR kind of leaves it open that you can call that commercial and make it uh, – make the acquisition a little more streamlined. And the reason that's a big deal is that it specifically is supposed to be streamlined. It, I mean, you look at the, the amount of, of elements that are required in this solicitation are different. So, for example, I've, I've bought ATVs commercially. I've bought helmet mounting reporting systems commercially. Um, I've bought lots of individual equipment and some, some commercial services. Right, because how many people use four-wheelers and GoPro, right? That, that, that You can buy those anywhere. Right, and so the preference is... If this is something, in other words, if this is something that you and I, you, you and I might not need to go buy it, but if you and I could right. go buy it, then it's probably commercial. So at least start looking at making that decision. And of course, there's this issue of you have to do a commerciality determination, and which can get really long-winded depending on the circumstances. And, and there's also different agency procedures, which right. again. So if you're a small business, how do you tell if your item is will be considered a commercial item by the government? Well. If you've ever sold it to anybody else and now you're just considering selling it to the government, it's commercial. 
if you're going to v- develop something specifically for the government that's never been used before by anyone, it may not be commercial. Correct. And and the reason this is important for a small business to understand is that the procedures under FAR Part 12 are going to be different. Even the order of the clauses, well, actually there are a lot fewer of them, but the order of the content is is different. So the RFP is going to look different. So that's that's why we, when you say it's commercial acquisition, it there are a lot of different pieces to it. You're still source selection process, the time zones, okay, they, they still all apply. That's not different. But it's the how is different. So that's what I wanted to make sure people understand that when we say commercial acquisition, we're talking about FAR Part 12, and it's a it's just what it sounds like. It's a way it's the government's attempt to take the simplified commercial way of buying things and stitch it into the FAR. And yes, that's not ever gonna be perfect, but it you know, it's an, at least at least we're trying. <laughs> <laughs> all right. I think that does it for today. All right, we knocked out some good questions today. So, you know, as always, keep sending them in and we'll, and we'll we're, we like to, we have a list of 223 <laughs> items that we're going to go through at some point, but we like to answer the questions too. I mean, we want to you know provide value for, these are the kind of things that we used to answer one-on-one and now we're able to answer them once for the world, which is kind of cool. Um, and as always, look us up on Twitter, on LinkedIn, and also on Facebook now. And then the biggest thing is, yeah, keep writing the reviews. We're starting to get more reviews. I, I know you're, you're hearing me. I really appreciate that. <laughs> it's, it's making a big difference. And we're at 30,000 downloads, Woohoo! which is pretty cool. So thank you all for, for being actively involved. And, you know, as always, if you need more help, go to the skywayacquisition.com slash connect and be part of the community. And uh, we'll go from there. And that's all I got for today. All right. I'll talk to you later, Kevin. See ya. Okay. That's it for this week's episode. As always, if you have questions, comments, or complaints, go to contractingofficerpodcast.com, hit the contact button, and let us know what you think. Thanks for listening.